Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the TV Pilot's License Plate number 25 with service to New York, New York and the Manhattan Criminal Court. We ask that you please fasten your headphones at this time, secure your podcasting device, and remember... Hey Max, heads or tails? Go heads. Alright. Alright. All rise for the honorable TV pilot's license. (laughs) Honorable is a questionable phrase. You may be seated. Welcome to the TV pilot's license. My name is Jeff Kerbis, joined by Max Singer and Rich Inman. How are you boys doing today? Doing great. Hey, Jeff, what would have happened if the coin landed on tails? I just have a coin that is only head, so... Congrats, Max. You oh, picked the uh, right uh, one. Fit, fitting for today. Great. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, today, boys, we are talking about the original 1984 Night Court. Um, just based off of the new Night Court series that has just recently debuted on NBC. Um, but before we dive too much into it, uh, Max, why don't you tell the people a little bit about what this podcast is all about? Sure thing. So here at TV Pilots License, we break down and analyze the pilot episodes of some of television's most famous, or in some cases, infamous shows. We figure out how these shows came to be and were greenlit, if they're effective pilots and make us want to watch more, and if we think these shows can be made today, uh, in today's case, yes. Uh, But we've got a whole (laughs) bunch of episodes wherever you get your podcasts from, so go back Listen to some ones that you may love, find a show you may never have seen before, and if it is your first time flying with us today, then welcome aboard. And Rich, what is your question of the week this week? Uh, so, obviously this is a entire show based around the legal system of the United States, and I'm curious if any of you guys had had any run-ins with the law. <laughs> and uh, and what that story might be, and uh, and how would uh, and how would Judge Harry uh, handle this? All right, how would they find you? So I'll I'll begin. Um, I my only infraction with the law was uh, I grew up, and I actually currently am in my childhood home in Florida. And if anyone knows about the famous East Coast Highway I ninety five. When you're driving on Miami I-90, to Maine, baby, Miami yeah. to Maine. But when you're driving on it, it is also from my na- from basically Delray Beach to Miami. It's one of the most dangerous stretches of highway in the United States because the average driver is 75 and can't see. So <laughs> when I was in high school, um, I was driving and I had a driver slam into the side of me, which then caused a five car pileup. Um, Afterwards, we were all talking to the police because the guy who slammed into the side of me refused to admit what had happened. But he, the policeman very, very suavely just said, how fast were you going? How fast were you going? How fast were you going? And he caught me saying the speed limit was 65. And I said 70 uh, because oh. I was going 70 miles per hour and telling the honest truth. So I was the only person who got a ticket. Uh, I was not at fault with, for the accident. Thank you, uh, because that would have been terrible, and I never would have been able to get insurance again. But I did have to go to court and uh, fight the ticket, and luckily I won because the police officer did not show up because he had something better to do. Thank you, court system. Max, what about you? My freshman year of college, like many young Americans, I uh, was cited for an underage drinking infraction. Uh, 
look, it, it happens to the best of us. I did an eight-hour course on a Saturday afternoon, and the charges were totally expunged from my record. Although I like to think that Judge Harry T. Stone would have come up with a slightly more creative way to uh, teach me a life lesson. Yeah, you want to drink? All right, you're going to drink this entire box of Miller 64s. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do, uh, what, what was that game where you have to tape the, uh, tape the malt liquor to your hands? Do you guys know Edward Forty Hands? Yeah, you have to do Edward uh, Edward Forty Hands uh, right in front in front of everyone here. Uh, Rich, what about you? Uh, like most of us who have been to college or grew up in the Midwest, uh, we all kind of have a beef with the Northwest Indiana Highway Patrol system that they have going on. <laughs> uh, they have got me several times at going very minor amounts over a speed limit, while the speed limits change quite a bit uh, going into Chicago. So uh, I just want to say ACAB specifically for the Northwest Indiana Highway Patrol system. <laughs> Yeah, Gary, Indiana. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and now, a very special answer to Rich's question of the week from an in-flight guest. Hey, guys. This is Ben. First time, long time. Calling uh, for a, a great story from uh, an actual lawyer. So uh, when I was a local prosecutor in Gloucester County, Virginia, which, uh, as I'm sure none of your listeners will know, uh, it is a real small Small county on the Tide area of Virginia with uh, not a lot going on. I was a local prosecutor there, and uh, I got this kid, Jesse Green. Now, Jesse looks like everybody's high school weed dealer, right? Six foot four, big shaggy hair, really smart, but smoked too much pot to, like, you know, do much with himself. And this guy was just, like, the talk of the town. Tons of trouble, always getting in and out of stuff. And he gets pulled over one night. He's riding shotgun in a car down this old country dirt road, gets pulled over, and ends up uh, getting uh, a cop kind of walk up to the side of his door, looks, takes one look at him, knows exactly who he is, and smells a whole bunch of pot. So this cop wasn't just any other cop, though. This cop was named Sergeant Johnson. So Sergeant Johnson goes up and sees Jesse sitting in the car, and he's like, you know, Jesse, I smell some weed. You know, gets Jesse out, starts searching the, searching the car, finds some weed, goes to arrest Jesse, does what's called a search incident to an arrest, and from there uh, gives Jesse a pat-down. So Sergeant Johnson is giving Jesse this pat-down and feels a hard object shoved in Jesse's groin area. Uh, feels this hard object and turns to Jesse. Mind you, this is all on body cam. Turns to Jesse and says, Jesse, what you got in your crotch there, kid? And Jesse says, oh, that's my dick, man. And he looks at him and he goes, Jesse, that's not your dick. I know what a dick feels like, and that ain't it. And Jesse goes, oh, you know, it's just my dick, man. You know I've always liked you. <laughs> so Sergeant Johnson, knowing that it was not, in fact, his dick, turns around and uh, <laughs> continues his search and pulls out a firearm from in Jesse's, uh, we'll call it his groin area. Jesse gets arrested. We then go to court. We go to the hearing, and there's a motion to suppress the evidence, which is just a fancy way of saying, you know, we're trying to keep this out and claim it was a legal search. So we get to trial, and uh, we get to this motion, and we go through this, and I got Sergeant Johnson on the stand. And Sergeant Johnson is being asked some questions about the defense, and I got to ask him some questions myself. And uh, I turn to him, and I say, Sergeant Johnson, you know, when you conducted this pat-down, what did you feel? 
And he goes, well, I felt uh, something something in his groin area. And I said, well, Sergeant Johnson, what did you think it was? He just says, well, I, I don't know. I have no idea. But it was uh, inconsistent with the human anatomy. <laughs> and I go, well, today we're talking about <laughs> night court. Uh, we are talking about Boy, the howdy. court of Judge Harold Stone, Harry Stone, Harry T. Stone. But mm-hmm. let's give a synopsis. An eccentric, fun-loving judge presides over an urban night court and all the silliness going on there. But as succinct as that description was, Max, can you tell us a little bit more about what went into night court? Today we are talking about a gentleman by the name of Reinhold Weege and the pilot of Night Court titled All You Need Is Love, which premiered on NBC on January 4th, 1984. Uh, So Weege gets his break in Hollywood as a staff writer and then later a producer on the long-running comedy Barney Miller. Uh, Mm. He's also a writer for MASH in its later seasons. And in 1981, he goes to create the short-lived sitcom for CBS Park Place, which centers around a legal aid clinic in Manhattan. Uh, Unfortunately for him, but good for fans of Night Court, Park Place only lasts for four episodes before being canceled. Uh, However, it does get him approached by NBC and Warner Brothers to help develop a new legal comedy for NBC. Weege starts to sit in on Manhattan's night courts and begins talking with the lawyers and judges who, you know, inhabit these places. And something that Weege learns is, and they allude to this in the pilot, that it's very difficult to get a judge off the bench once they're appointed. And so a lot of the people who are working these night courts are the people we can't get rid of and we need something to do with. (laughs) But basically, he discovers there's all these characters that reside in the legal system who aren't just your run-of-the-mill district attorneys and judges and things like that. And that becomes the basis for Night Court. Yeah. uh, So, just so I know, and this was a question I had long before uh, I even watched this pilot, Night Court really exists. Like, there's a court that is at night. Yeah, because one of the things... I think what this has transitioned into is if you have ever seen one of those videos on the internet where one person is in a cell over video and then you see the judge on a different video. Yes. And usually there's like like 30 or 40 people. Yeah, it's very similar to that. And they'll just have a attending, uh, basically, representative for those who have been accused as well as someone from the district attorney fighting on the other side, if necessary. It's It's also worth pointing out that uh, crime does not have a nine to five, Rich. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Crimely judges do. (laughs) I've also heard crime never pays. Uh, So Mm. who knows? Can't pay with the two headed coin. Mm, That's true. But getting back to Night Court, what ends up being bad for the show in the short term, but great for it in the long term, is that it actually gets delayed from NBC's pilot slate in 1983, primarily because executives of the network have a really difficult time with the show's lead, Harry Anderson, not being a big enough name to top line a primetime show. Anderson at this point is known as sort of like a variety performer. He does uh, like multiple magic stints on SNL in the late 70s when they did more like variety show things in their early Our first days. first magician on the and, podcast. Wow. <laughs> uh, 
he also has a reoccurring role in the early seasons uh cheers as harry the hat a con man character and nbc's just not sure if this is the guy that's going to be able to lead a primetime show and make it successful this ends up being the best thing that could have ever happened to night court though this pause the original 1983 pilot comedy slate at nbc consisted of three other shows jennifer slept here a comedy about the ghost of a movie star and her friendship with the teenager whose family now lives in her beverly hills home oh my I god i am in why aren't we doing that show right uh, now <laughs> show number two we got it made uh which a beautiful young woman becomes the housekeeper to two manhattan bachelors this is all like That's this not... sounds like they just spun a wheel of fake 30 rock shows that <laughs> no this is mad libs this is just max decided to play mad libs instead of do research wow. for 30 Cocaine minutes must have been so good in the 80s <laughs> <laughs> and finally Take me my, away. my personal favorite pilot from nbc's 1983 slate mr smith uh, which is about an orangutan who, through no. a scientific All right, experiment, no, no. Nope. don't even finish <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, gains an incredible intellect and learns to talk, and he actually becomes a political advisor in Washington D.C. You know what's so funny is that that's actually the inspiration that's a true for story. Nope. Yeah, no, that's. <laughs> oh no, I, I was going to say, and that's how we got. Uh, who was president in 1983, Reagan. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so all of these shows obviously are canceled after their first seasons. Night Court ends up being a mid-season replacement show in January. It originally airs on Wednesdays following The Facts of Life, but then is moved into NBC's Thursday Must See TV, which is their like hot promotional block. Uh, for those who aren't aware, Must See TV is a concept that originates in the early 1980s, because movie studios are showing commercials for their new movies on Thursdays before they come out on Fridays. Mm. So you want to have your hot shows airing on Thursdays so you can get ad revenue in. Studios want to get eyes on movie trailers. So Thursday night primetime becomes really essential for TV networks uh, starting in like the 1980s with this like commercial boom we have. I wonder um, if that's what led Universal to buy NBC. That kind be. of synergy. Uh, but yeah. Uh, beginning at Night Court's second season, this primetime must-see TV block is The Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, and Night Court from Ooh, 8 to 10. That's just so, wild. That's had insane. this show premiered in September, it would have been in a block with things like Jennifer Slept Here and Mr. Smith. And lo and behold, pushing it back four months gets it moved in with uh, Facts of Life and Cheers and Family Ties and Cosby Show wow. and all of these shows that defined the 80s. Uh, it's worth noting that this pilot is directed by uh, Friend of the Pod, Hero to Richard Inman, uh, James Jimmy Burroughs, as we yeah. like to call him around here. Jimmy! Uh, it's also worth noting, should you watch more of this show, that this pilot is the only appearance of the uh, character Sheila Gardner, played by Gail Strickland. Uh, this role is actually just completely rewritten after this episode. Uh, I just would like to inform everyone, after you listen to the podcast, you'll notice that there's a petition for Mr. Smith, as well as Jennifer Slept Here, to get rebooted. Please make sure to sign those uh, petitions. <laughs> you can also email me personally at tvpilotslicense at gmail.com if you want to come on board the campaign. Thank well, you. Just, justice for We Got It Made. When is it getting a, a, <laughs> nope, a reboot? Nope, We campaign. Got It Made. I don't want it. Um, but <laughs> with that said... Um, 
you guys want to talk about Night Court a little bit more? Yeah. I guess kind of. <laughs> so, I, I just want to say... Here. I want to say this. Um, you know, the new Mario movie starring Chris Pratt is start to come out in a few months. Um, but the cold open of Night Court had the only depiction of Wario I want to see as a painter uh, with Lana Wagner, the court clerk, and bailiff Bull Shannon uh, opening this first scene as our painter is staring at a couple... Uh, having a romantic encounter. Um, But this scene was nice because I I actually really like the scene. You got an idea of Lana Wagner, this court clerk, is really stressing because today is the first day of the newly appointed judge of the night court. Um, I really really like a show where our opening is like, why is today different? Why is today special? Like, why is today different from other days? <laughs> well, the it's different because uh, there's off-camera, mainly just referred to sex happening, which is an extremely it, poignant uh, 70s and 80s sitcom trope where they refer to like something a, This saucy. is like a multi-cab set, too. So that dude's just staring at some, like, uh, like bags of sand and ropes <laughs> offstage. Uh, Friends does this. Seinfeld does this. Like, a ton, a ton of different sitcoms are just like, oh, my God. Puts on binoculars. Someone's naked outside the apartment window. And it's a really good acting exercise because you are just staring at a blank wall. Yeah, and what I was going to say is if anyone in the audience is curious about Max's favorite holiday, it is Passover because there's so many questions about why this night is different than any other (laughs) night. Um, Passover, the original pilot. Yeah, Passover. (laughs) Uh, The the Pontius pilot, if you will. Oh, Oh, no. Um, what I will say though is I really enjoyed this scene because it does start off setting the tone of like the sort of jokes that we're going to be getting in this show. Um, although I do not know who the painter is, I have a ton of the lines written down that he said, my favorite just being like, my wife won't do that. And that is a throwaway line, but the way that this man just purely went after the delivery of this, I really, really enjoyed. But I thought this scene was super interesting because this show, if I described it to someone and said, in one scene, we meet almost every single character we're going to care about throughout the run of the show, as well as there's a couple making love, as well as we meet a bailiff who somehow, I don't know how Bull's getting his word of the month. Uh, I assume he bought a dictionary. Uh, But like, it sounds like a fever dream, but I sort of loved it. What were your guys' thoughts when we were just introduced to like almost too much stuff i love uh this character of uh bull shannon played mm-hmm. by the great character actor richard mole uh richard mole walking so that pro wrestlers could do comedy <laughs> in the 90s and 2000s into today uh richard mole also uh of the tv show within the movie uh, jiggle all the way playing the uh, character of Dementor in the TV version of Turbo Man, uh, a legend to me in my youth. Yes, uh, but it, it's just funny, like playing that he's you know the the big lug. His his job is to be the big lug, and he gets to do these like fun, physical, like highbrow comedy jokes with his insistence on using big words. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, just, it's a fun intro. You're welcome, Dave Bautista. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do love that there is that uh, question that's circling around the internet of who is the greatest uh, wrestling actor of all time, uh, comparing like John Cena, Dave Batista, uh, The Rock, even Hulk Hogan, uh, if you're a fan. But I think Richard Mole 
did very much <laughs> set the tone uh, of what is possible. I, I do have one uh, line of his written down of, does a bear extravasate in the forest? <laughs> uh, but like this, I, I know this gag might just be for one episode. I did not watch more, and that is not what the show is about. But I hope this is a recurring joke, because it really... I would never get tired of this joke, no matter how improperly someone uses words. Yeah, he he is very much a very good wild card character to have in this. Like, kind of doesn't really have any motivation the entire time. Is just there to throw in some weird jokes or just like, you know, something he's going to be fascinated by that way. Uh, like during that week's episode, that he can like. I don't know. Just a lot of list game moments for for him, and every show needs one. Yeah. So, during this scene, though, we start to meet more of the characters. It's not just Bull. It's not just Lana Wagner. We also have Dan Fielding, our assistant district attorney. Uh, Max talked a little bit about Sheila Gardner's... Or is it Gardner? Uh, I think Gardner. Yeah, Gardner's, uh, the public defender's role. Um, and we also have this mysterious figure just walk in uh, who seems young and juvenile uh and almost out of place and everyone's waiting to meet this judge who on the mayor's last day he just was it the mayor governor someone appointed him on the last day um of their time in office as a whole um any like i i did like how they use this device of who's the star of the show to meet the other stars of the show for the most part of like, or here's the wacky cast of characters that we're going to meet throughout this and get a very good sense of, hey, amongst a bunch of squares um, that are also sort of like silly in their own rights and their own behaviors, um, what is going to be the thing that interrupts them as a Yeah, I like that we get everyone kind of gathered together be like, what do you think the new kid's going to be like? Uh, Dan Fielding, played by the immaculate John Larroquette, has a really, really interesting line here where he says, I hope he can play chess and his name isn't Shecky. <laughs> yeah, does anyone know the the reference behind that? Like, who's Shecky? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, maybe a, a Russian chess prodigy that we never heard of in our time. Um, I did really enjoy the we're going to talk about john larroquette in this the entire uh, a lot especially in the legacy of the show um but it was really fun to just see him playing the serious role in this for the most part and sheila gardner's like that character did seem like even a little bit silly but john larroquette it feels like he was just told hey you're the district attorney or you're the assistant district attorney play it seriously um really just play it straight at least for the few first couple of scenes as a whole um but from here we find out our mysterious character this young fresh-eyed looking man is our new judge judge harold harry t stone um and hijinks pursue now, I don't know about you two gentlemen, but I realized that my brain is broken uh, when Harry pulled out a gun uh, and I fully expected him to shoot someone uh, and that be the joke of, oh, he accidentally shot someone, but instead it was a prop gun uh, with 
what was that like a fake snake coming out of it yeah it, it's like when you do like the can like the snake in a can prank mm. but in like gun form yeah it's like a it looked like a t-shirt cannon like a modern day t-shirt cannon but just full of that uh that peanut can uh fake snake thing which is uh okay so here here's something i wanted to ask you about i have this written down in and very large bold print is this a real studio audience or do, is this just canned laughter and clapping because it seems they they get a lot of points for clapping at, <laughs> that they do not earn whatsoever <laughs> so either like i just, I just do not know no like, one the, goes to a live taping to not clap you you go there because the red goal. light tells you to clap and to laugh and you've got yeah. stage hands telling you what to do rich uh, you gotta be a team open, player you gotta be a team player I mean, and clap to an extent and laugh. <laughs> sometimes you gotta set up your uh you know what you know, you know who else uh convinced a lot of people to clap for them just don't because they dare. thought they had don't, to. Don't you dare. <laughs> don't don't Jeb, it, Jeb Bush. James Corden. <laughs> Let, let's say Jeb Bush and James Corden. <laughs> this is a well, really interesting cold open, though, because it it's just hijinks. It's yeah. just goofy lines. It says that this is going to be a character-driven, wacky show. But, like, do we like it as a pilot cold open? I am a fan of it because I think it gives me a immediate impression of what I should be expecting. It also, in comparison to a lot of things we've watched, like, I was trying to think of the other sitcoms that we've watched in the past. Modern Family. Um, the one that really I compared this to directly was Everybody Loves Raymond as well as Alf. Uh, and like, if you guys remember the beginning of ALF, ALF was, there was a spaceship that crashes into a garage. Everybody Loves Raymond was, uh, the terrors of being a mom that's not helped by your husband, uh, with three children and also having your in-laws next to you. This was the first one where I was just like, I actually really liked most of the jokes that were included. And I thought, like, hey, this gives me a tone of, like, what I should be expecting. What about you, Rich? Rich, I actually already know. You don't even need to say it. <laughs> yeah, you can see it. In, for, for the listeners at home, you could really see it in my eyes. I, I just think, I think a lot of this stuff is, like, extremely hacky, like, sitcom humor. And a lot of the jokes seem very unearned. And uh, there's a premise in sketch writing of, like not of of writing like a very boring like straight man in the uh in in the sketch and their whole their whole reason for being is just like what that's so crazy that's like to the actual premise of the sketch and that's what it seems like everyone is compared to harry t stone which is like i don't know it's not doing it for me i probably shouldn't have given away my own feelings on this so early but uh so early in the episode but yeah i just think uh a lot of the jokes have seemed pretty telegraphed and um that's why i was uh, that's why i was wondering about the canned laughter some of the moments that even the actors don't even look like they're having a fun time got like massive laughs out of so i don't really know what was going on there but max i'm curious did you have a fun time in the cold open i i I had a fun time, but when that intro theme kicked in, 
I think I was more excited for the funky bass and mm. the saxophone than I oh, was yeah. about Thank some you. of the jokes that because happened right before that. Let me just state something for the audience. I think <laughs> I can speak for all of us when I say, here at the TV Pilots License Podcast, we love a montage intro with some sexy saxophone behind it. And boy, did this do it for me as a whole. I was grooving the entire time of this montage. I was ready to go after this montage as a whole. It's court, but it's at night. Yeah, it was a very, very gritty post-taxi driver New York scenes, which I, I very much enjoyed. Um, it also, it, it kind of felt like the SNL cast could have popped out of any, like, particular moment, because they always do those little, like, vignettes around New York when they're intro- for the intros every year. But also, like, you gotta give it up to one of the best theme song instruments of all time, which is basically, I think it's a mallet and a wood block that they use mm-hmm. in the in the theme song, and really really taking it home for me i one I, of the original instruments it's just it's so simple 11 uh, out of 10 horrible time signature but great rating <laughs> <laughs> um but we actually go to court for the first time oh um, thank god and you know it is not just in wait, the judges wait, wait. chambers is it in the daytime nope no I, it's not dusk either try again it's not <laughs> no <laughs> Um, but the, we go into the night court and Rich, I'm so sorry, but more hijinks are about to ensue. Um, I, famously, I, I hate hijinks. So Rich, I'm going to sit here with my arms crossed. I, I'm gonna say he, lo- he loves a caper. Yeah, hates a hijink. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hijinks, including, you know, Bull, he is just like sitting under. Oh, that's great. Because Bull is sitting under a lamp that is oddly shaped. And boy, is that one of the funnier things that I yeah, have ever seen. Yeah, the audience really loses it for this lamp that kind of they? maybe <laughs> looks like a hat on the bailiff. I wrote down in my notes, it looks like a hat. That's the joke. <laughs> yeah, the, specifically he says, pay not, a, or Dan Fielding's character, or Dan Fielding says, pay not attention to the gossip. They look good on you. Uh, which, you know, John Larroquette delivers it flawlessly because he's a professional but i agree with you in this moment rich i was like hmm this seems like a bit of a stretch as a joke as a whole yep but we we see the court we get our introduction uh, introduction to the judge in his professional duties in this sense um i do really i did love richard uh or excuse me richard mole as bull having to use his hands uh, where the name was written down. And obviously it was in such big text that he had to say Harold T and then look at the other hand to say stone. Um, I really, really enjoyed that as well as the judge standing up, sitting, pretending to sit down and standing up again and then sitting down. I, those were just jokes that, you know, it was late at night when I watched this, and it got me. <laughs> yeah, Harry Stone saying, I've always wanted to see that happen by pranking the gallery in court. Yeah, you know, judge pranks. <laughs> this, this is a thing we all care about and would uh, absolutely abide to this etiquette. So during this scene, there's a lot of stuff that happens. Uh, the judge knows some of the criminals or the folks who, excuse me, they need their due process. The folks who were accused of uh, crimes. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. Oh, yeah. yeah no. Allegedly, we, 
his buddy Hacksaw. <laughs> if you don't say allegedly, Brett Favre will sue you. That is, oh, no. uh, that's how it happens. Uh, but you can't know, to watch Harry T. Stowe preside over that case. Oh, <laughs> oh hell yeah! No. I would pay good money to watch that happen. But <laughs> I, there were some instances in this that I thought were like actually fairly funny, especially so the main trial of the day. Because I feel like this almost has a love boat theme to it, where there's like some of these like little side plots, but then we have our main uh, main thing that's happening, and it is the Kerr family, um, the wife and husband, and the wife shot at the husband um, or shot at their ceiling because he was having an affair with a prostitute in this instance. Um, but there were some lines between the two of them that were just. Really, I enjoyed um, what one was. Uh, your family's all crazy. They ha- all have weird chromosomes, and they all look like slinkies. That was said on a prime time slot in television history, and I'm very happy that someone made reference to slinkies as a human being, as a figure. What were in these beginning instances of the trials of as a whole? What were your initial thoughts? Rich just is oh, shaking Rich. his head. He's so uh, upset at us. <laughs> Rich, we're, we're, on, we're on a verbal medium. You got to say something funny. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I just uh, audio um, describe Rich this entire episode. Look, I am all for Harry T. Stone's use of expediting the judicial system and unpro-bail un-pro reform. Harry T. Stone is probably also pro-bail reform. If we're talking 2023 right now. He's, he's expediting. He's not getting anyone in some more long-term serious hot water for what they're there for. He, you know, what was it? A $50 fine for Hacksaw for gambling. All right, Mm -hmm. get the hell out. That, I don't know how much $50 is in 1983 in New York, but, uh, it's $500. (laughs) (laughs) Seems doable, especially for someone who gambles a lot. Uh, I don't know. I, the way he is expediting these cases, very funny to me. And if that's like. I don't, there's nothing so far that I've seen. Yeah. Give me eight years of this. So, um, (laughs) and that's how long it got. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm curious what you guys think, but, uh, I'm I'm really trying not to be a downer on this. (laughs) I I at least appreciate from a pilot perspective that we're leaning hard into the angle of like, Harry's not like other judges. Like, Harry's a cool judge. Harry's a fun judge. Like, Harry has his own way of doing business. Uh, This is best exemplified in how he breaks for recess, where he orders the couple and their lawyers to go to a restaurant, have a cup of coffee, talk it out. And the way he says it is so, like, there's someone, like, playing bongos next to him, I like to imagine, or, like, in his head there's bongos playing. It's very beatnik-y. But they, they at least establish, like, this is the point of view of this character. He's a man of the people. He connects with, you know, people who come through his office and his chambers. Like, he's looking for the best in humanity in a world that probably doesn't have a lot of people like that. That's what makes Harry different. Yeah, and after this, we, you know, cut to commercial break. We're back in the judges' chambers during recess, and uh, it's obvious that dinner did not go well because it looks like Gail and Dan were both assaulted uh, by someone, if not the curs. Um, But we do end up going back to trial, um... I, I just want to say 
Dan Fielding, I also have had a shirt that I loved get torn uh, by someone, and I feel your pain very much so. I have never oh, felt yeah, more him seen. yeah, slumping in the chair defeated, just saying I love my shirt is such a good Laracat delivery there. Yeah, uh, make sure, Jeff, when you edit this later, to put taps on behind you while you're talking about your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that shirt like it was yesterday. <laughs> um, but Amazing grace. Oh, no. Um, I will say... sweet the shirt. <laughs> After this, after we return from the judges' chambers, we're resuming trial because obviously it did not work. And you can tell that uh, Harry is sort of down because it didn't work and confused because he thought he read the room appropriately. I really enjoyed that the gallery almost was like a living peanut gallery, right? We're getting all of these comments in the beginning to which I instantly was like, if we're going to have the literal peanut gallery talking in every episode i'm out but then just having the line of are oohs and ahs okay and then from then on out i tracked to see if the gallery said anything more than oohs or ahs they did not and i was very <laughs> i was Jeff very went back and watched every second i i was tracking the plays and i was very pleased with the consistency of that as a whole but we bring out this coin which is now the coin of justice uh as i deemed it in my notes to just start to decide what's going to happen in this courtroom as a whole i i have to say though i agree with the point you just made jeff i can handle wacky judge i can handle wacky lawyers i don't know if i would have been able to handle wacky courtroom like mm-hmm. i i think that you need to have like the normal uh, like circumstances to allow these characters to thrive in that world. And if everyone is just throwing stuff against the wall, yeah, it's going to get old really quick. So I'm glad that they had a moment where it's like, oh, everyone at the gallery is suddenly invested in this uh, like domestic case. But I'm also glad that they got the high joke out of our ooze and Oz okay. And they just ended that bit right there and moved on. But some interesting I I did like, so as this coin of justice starts going around, there was one bit that I really enjoyed, and that was uh, the first instance of seeing the coin at work, where he goes up to the woman that Mr. Kerr cheated on his wife with and said, heads, uh, you are excused from the court, tails, uh, you're going to prison, right? And he flips the coin, and... She makes a mention, uh, he's like, it's your lucky day. And she says, it it could be your lucky day too. Uh, which I just thought was like, it was a very quick line. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, but I thought it was great as we're seeing the judge go through a lot of these people and say, okay, heads or tails, heads or tails, that we get one of these serious figures to break and to buy into the insanity of this when Sheila Gardner is like, the defense wants heads, your honor, which was just like, that was just such a great moment (laughs) of seeing this woman, this distressed human being who has bought into the chaos and is disheveled fully be like, this is the new game, I'm in. This is how I am playing from now on. 
And it's a really classic comedy rule too, because that's on the third coin flip when Sheila Gardner breaks and yells the defense wants heads. So it is, it's that comic rule of threes and they do a really fun job of heightening this game. Uh, a really quick side note I found out is that any time in the show where there were uh, people in court who were sex workers of any kind whatsoever, uh, Richard Weege would, or not, uh, Reinhold Weege would always name them for friends of his, like all the characters who were sex workers were friends of his in real life. Oh and that was God. his little way of like saying hello to friends and family. That's amazing. And I, uh, I don't know it's, how I do that in my it's life. It's like the, uh, the creator of Monk naming a murder victim after his wife. That's very, very funny. <laughs> That's um, great. So I, I do, I do in particular enjoy. Okay. So for shows like this, for shows that are like more than 20 years old, I have to try to go back and think about the context in which they were pitched. And this particular moment with like people cutting in, you know, like more, a lot more lines and focus on the people who are having their course, uh, their, their court case read out loud. And like, you know, this dispute, uh, this, this domestic dispute between Phil and Louise. Um, I think more about like, Okay, number one, what do we want? We want uh, we want a lot of jokes per minute. So a lot of back and forth, a lot of short dialogue. You know, stuff is going to be ping-ponging around the room. What you also want is the ability around this particular moment in time is that you want a lot of opportunity for guest stars to show up. And that is people who are going to have their court cases read, people who are going to be in the gallery and stuff like that. And my God, they have like an insane list of uh, of guest appearances on the show and its entire run. Uh, the wildest one uh, being a animated Wiley e. Coyote showing up in Night Court and having a case read to Harry T. Stone, and it is. And I, I, I think what makes me appreciate it more is seeing the business and production nature of it behind behind all this. Like, the jokes are really not hitting it for me uh, still, but it was nice to see, like, okay, this is what... I mean, for a pilot season that was as weak as this year's was, like, I can see why they chose this one. Like, one of my friends who's a, uh, who's a TV writer, uh, he will write specifically for the commercial breaks. He will make sure that there is that every act is broken up like very succinctly around where they can monetize the show, and I think that's a very smart way to do it. And so I'm working backwards and seeing like how they made this a popular show, or at least a show where they can get like a pretty long run out of and a very low budget. Um, I, I mean, I think this does a terrific job. Obviously, you know. I, I don't remember when like Doogie Hauser came about, but this is very much like a uh, court system wunderkin kind of thing with with Harry T. Stone. It's like I'm going to solve these problems without sending a ton of people to jail. Well, if you also think about um, oh, blanket, I I just remember uh, 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 Family Ties uh, with uh, Michael J. Fox as Alex P. Keaton. This yes. sort of uh, slick, you know, I don't know. We'll call it the the hippest republican and sitcom history <laughs> but this idea of like the young fast talking cool kid on the block was definitely something that nbc was leaning into also we talk about the 80s on this show uh we always have to remember that this is where there's like a boom in variety hours and variety shows in the mm -hmm. late 70s early 80s so we're not doing these slice of life family comedies anymore we're trying to hit you with jokes it's a lot more like character driven 
than like overall like story arc driven. And I think this show does a really good job of capturing the type of comedy with like the sketch boom and the character and variety boom of its era. Yeah, uh, very well put. So let's just talk about what ended up happening in this trial. Um, the judge goes to Luis and Philip and basically says, hey, uh, heads, Louise goes to prison for seven years. Uh, tails, she does not. And we get a break. We get a breakthrough uh, where we get the admittance that, you know, she is not trying to kill him. And Phil just says, hey, I love her. Um, I don't want her to be charged with anything. They embrace. And uh, then, you know, I always love seeing who is a featured character in a montage because you expect them to be in the show a lot. Uh, and one of those characters was uh, Bailiff Selma Hacker, played by Selma Diamond. Selma Diamond had one line in this show, and that line was, uh, I had a husband just like that, pause, I had to shoot him too. That was all she said, and she was a featured <laughs> character in this show, Yeah, and I want to meet her agent. She absolutely killed it. Um, but after this trial, right, we see an empty courtroom. Uh, we see Harry listening to what I presume is some jazz music. Yeah, uh, jazz legend Mel Torme. Yeah. <laughs> listening and then we learn a little bit more uh thanks to the questioning of lana wagner of how harry got this job as a whole um and it's very simple folks uh some great career advice just stay home if you have plans cancel them or have your cell phone on ring anywhere that's including the movie theater or really nice restaurant have your cell phone on ring uh so that you get the notification when the mayor is calling you to give you a judge slot did in this this scene almost seemed out of character for the show given all the hijinks that were ensuing um but it seemed very very genuine which for me almost like threw me off like because i was like okay wacky comedy the entire time now it's like oh like harry is dealing with imposter syndrome like almost every millennial ever so i'll say two things on that jeff one uh you need to have that second level to a character um in this case harry has a really nice line here where he says my name may have been at the bottom of the list but like it or not i was still on that list yeah yeah. So no matter what no matter what you think of me, I know I deserve to be here. I might be unorthodox, you might not trust me, but I'm good at what I do, and obviously I had eyes on me for some reason. You need to have that to counterbalance all of the hijinks. The second thing is you need to be good at your job. We don't want to watch you fail and flounder. We could watch you struggle mm -hmm. uh, in the case of his first attempt to resolve the case not going well and him defeatedly saying, I really thought that was going to work. But you have to be good at the job. You have to see those succeed at the end of the day because no one wants to watch someone who is inappropriate and also incompetent. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think what this does here at the end is it really brings in both those points. It shows that Harry has depth and heart to him along with his humor. And it also shows that whatever you might think of him, 
He is good at this. Very well put, Max. Um, We do get at the end, though. I thought it was nice when Lana Wagner was like, I thought what you did today was beautiful in court. Um, In this, like, moment of, you know, he is suffering from imposter syndrome, trying to prove that he deserves to be here. And you have the court clerk who is, in some instances, your assistant in the court, but also his believer, someone who truly is inspired by what he is doing. Um, And that is... And then she says uh, at the end of the pilot, I think this is the last line, it would be an honor to call you Harry. Uh, And that is how the pilot ends as she's in a very unforgiving and unflattering uh, still frame of her smiling with her mouth open. Uh, But with that that being said... That's also how my waxer refers to me. It would be an honor (laughs) to call you Harry. Well, and to quote the great Harry, Harry Stone, that it's fortunate I have that name. (laughs) Um, So that's how the pilot ends. And I'd love to hear from you two. Any things that you loved about this pilot that we did not talk about? We've touched on a little, but I just, I appreciate all the characters. I, it made me think about like why, like why Multicam is maybe struggling to succeed in the modern era. And yeah, I mean, you could say that, like, single cam has more free range. They could go anywhere to shoot. They're not bound to, like, the platform sets, whatever. But I feel like a lot of these types of shows today, they're trying to do, like, uh, just, like, normal people in multicam world. And for multicam to succeed, you have to play to the rafters. You have to be mm-hmm. big. And I think the fact that these are all just characters in that world makes it fun to watch like i agree five minutes into this the thing with uh bowl and the lights i was like i really don't know how i'm getting a minute 21 but by the end of it i was like oh okay like these people are all having fun in this world these people are all defined they're all interesting they all have a point of view and i was on board by the end where the first few pages i was really touch and go yeah i i completely agree i really think uh The reason multicam has not worked so well uh, is people don't quite understand that you can't just throw a stand-up in there and expect them to succeed. You, it is multicam is written for stage. It is acted for stage. Like Max said, you play to the rafters. You you want someone who's there who can be big. And I think you know one of the reasons that let's say Big Bang Theory did so well is because Jim Parsons is actually a tremendous actor. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, despite what, no matter what you feel about that show as a whole or this, or their sense of humor or, you know, you know, kind of like having some low, lowest common denominator jokes and stuff like that. It is Jim Parsons is undeniably a really good actor. Like uh, uh, Tony nominated or Tony winning. I, I can't remember. Uh, At least Tony now, nominated. Now these days. But yeah, he, he's a, you know, classically trained film actor. Yeah. He has, or a theater actor. He has like an MFA in, in theater. Like he's, he's, great as an actor and and also like you have to love each character at a certain point like i think what made cheers so especially wonderful is that you will end up finding reasons to love each character because you get more about their backstory you get more about how they think uh they might come off the they might come off as arrogant or 
uh, or lousy or or crazy or something like that at any particular point, but you do end up getting a reason to love each person. And I do see, you know, especially with that ending for, for Harry, it's like you do... Yes, he has imposter syndrome. His imposter syndrome looks a lot different than mine uh, in that he was extremely confident coming into that room to go meet everybody uh, at, at the beginning you of the show. You should try wearing a mock turtleneck. I'm, mm. I might. I might. Uh, but that's only for mock trials. Anyways. Uh, hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Rich yeah, Inman, I, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> na, 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 na. Uh, and, and also, the the writing really has to be there. So it, it's the, the writing is so important in delivering any of these uh, multicam lines. Like, there's there's not a lot you can get away with that's just physical. Whereas I mean, even though there is a lot of like really good physical comedy in this show, um, it is not nearly as important as it is in single cam. Like you really need to have expert jokes. You need to have something that's going to at, to really hit that audience. Otherwise, it's going to flop completely. And I think what we've seen with Mulaney is that like it didn't seem like they vetted a lot of the jokes and uh, and things like that it, it's really it's really just like how strong can you be in that one instance you get a chance to make that laugh because otherwise you're not getting it back awesome what do you think jeff uh, i i think as far as like things i loved about this i thought this was very refreshing um in the sense of we have watched a lot of just as you said rich you said it so well that i don't want to you know uh bastardize it by any means but like <laughs> Sitcoms could, sitcom writers could learn a lesson from this pilot, I think, because I think it does do a good job of having a lot of characters that, you know, even though we're meeting all of them for the first time, we're not trying to tell their life story in the pilot. Mm -hmm. There's more episodes coming for that. There's a confidence in how this was written that we're just going to meet the star of the show this episode. We're going to meet the other folks, the supporting actors a little bit later, learn a little bit more about them. But let's just learn the premise of this un- this situation and let it be driven by our lead actor, which is really interesting and unique, um, especially in a time like today where it seems like everyone in the cast has to be the reason why hijinks are happening. Um, but I do want to get to wait a minute moments. Um, were there any wait a minute moments in this pilot for each of you? No perfect pilot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's Rich. a longer Rich. list. <laughs> Let it rip. Oh, Go for God it. Rich. Damn it! Everything is so unearned. Good God! I I really think I really don't think that this is uh, studio audience. I I really so uh, Max and I are thinking about going to a Frasier reboot um, uh, live taping and, and I wasn't invited that just shows how good of friends these two are they wouldn't say hey Jeff can you make the short drive from St. Paul Minnesota to LA <laughs> to, to Burbank <laughs> to, California to Burbank to go and watch Kelsey Grammer high, alum of your high school perform in the Frasier reboot <laughs> I, I look Max and I are going to play along. We're going to be good audience members, but it's not, if a joke isn't hitting, why do you want the people who are there to know that to like essentially be lied to? It's like faking an orgasm. It's like, who does that serve? And if they don't write the jokes better, then 
I, I don't know. It, it, it is just, especially with that light bulb scene, the light bulb scene really took me out of it. And I will admit to everyone listening right now, I watched this extremely high. And, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, I love watching things high because it makes them like recognizably funnier. And it, it, even with the THC pulsing through my heart, there is nothing about a lot of these jokes that that hit home for me at all. It's kind of like, and I, and don't get me wrong, like I I know that sense of humor has changed and evolved pretty rapidly since like you know the first like comedy shows and, and everything, comedy like TV shows. Like if you watch Laughing right now, it's almost unrecognizable what the jokes are anymore, just because you know it's it's extremely just not of the, our time, and. Th- I don't get that feeling from this. I think the jokes are bad. <laughs> and, and I think they tried to really make a lot of visual and uh, and physical humor elements that didn't quite work so well. And I personally am not giving this episode two if I'm ahead of a network. But if the only thing that uh, that they're up against is... Mr. Smith. Or orangutan. An orangutan. Uh, didn't Ronald Reagan actually do movies with orangutans at one at, at one point? Doesn't he have a movie with a monkey? Is that is yeah, that a reference like, to that? In his acting days, he did kind of like B-movie stuff yes. with monkey sidekicks. There's a rumor like that. that trickle-down economics was the idea of an orangutan when <laughs> Ronald Reagan watched him give a banana to another <laughs> orangutan. <laughs> Everybody gets some. All right. Um... Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna just say no to this pilot then. I, I think for me, it just like it feels like such a pilot in the sense of maybe it's trying at times a little too hard to get its points across. Like obviously, we have to establish that Harry Stone is an unorthodox kind of wacky humorous judge. The the canned snake gunshot thing was really jarring to me. Yeah. I like the intro of him playing coy on the windowsill, like doing the little voyeurism gag and things like that. And I was fine with the like pranking the gallery with standing up and standing and sitting down. The snake thing was weird. And I felt like you like you have to hit it over the head because it's a pilot, but that one just didn't do it for me. Yeah, and what I will say as my only wait a minute moment, more tv montages i need more of them give me more i want one in the beginning i want one in the middle i want there's one only in... so many places you could put them jeff <laughs> just yeah. a, just a tv show that's just a bunch of tv uh mon- just a bunch of montages that's what i need not NBC... even a clip show not even a clip no no no, show. no, no, no. Just want some i just want jazz music with montages uh but jeff please... don't you see that we're all saying the same thing that we want them all to talk less that's great um so i do we do have an in-flight question this week before we get to a legacy of the show yeah uh in uh, so we did this episode uh in honor of the new revival of night court that is currently on nbc we're going to talk about it a little bit within the legacy but with that being said can you tell me, and this was asked by our audience, you can ask us in-flight questions in our DMs or voicemail, whatever you choose, what is a TV show that of the early 80s that you believe deserves a revival? And I can even go, we'll go to the 70s and 60s as well. Hell yeah, yeah let's do it. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm going Taxi. I feel like that's a show that really... Uh, 
Oh, Rich, I've got bad news about taxis. And <laughs> <laughs> the in the new hit re- reboot, Uber. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I I completely didn't think about that. Well, anyways, <laughs> maybe it's a bus dispatch. I don't give a shit. Anyways, we're, uh, I I think that show, uh, especially with the reliance on insane acting, uh, that would do exceptionally well right now. If you were able to find people who could hold a candle to Danny DeVito and Andy Kaufman. What about you, Max? So just a little bit of background on the revival of Night Court. It is centered around the character of Abby Stone, who is the daughter of Harry T. Stone. So another NBC sitcom that I think would be fun if it had a... uh, you know, family relative taking over the reins would be Cheers. And Mm, I would love to see uh, whether it's a son or daughter or just a relative of Sam Malone's taking over the bar where it's such an era of like cocktail culture now. Mm. Plus like, I don't know, Mr. Mayor just got canceled. So what's Ted Danson doing? I think it'd be really fun to see him popping in, like seeing what's become of his bar over the years as it adjusts to reflect the times and reflect cocktail culture while still being like reminiscent of the place it used to be hey hey, you guys this is the president of nbc uh i just came in to take some notes uh don't worry about any of your ids (laughs) being stolen i am putting your names next to each of them so president of nbc please don't listen to the first one cosby show i would like the cosby no i'm kidding whoa 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 Um, Okay. So this was interesting because when I heard this question, I started doing research on NBC shows of like the 80s and 90s. And I was like, oh, you know what would be really fun? Knight Rider. Guess what? It's already been redone. Oh, you know what would be really fun? Uh, Magnum P.I. Done. Mm -hmm. You know what would be really fun? Full House. Netflix has it. Um, But I started thinking about shows that I grew up watching reruns of on like... um, any like late night show or late night network and one of them was three's company um i loved oh. three's company the original polycule yeah like and i actually think three's company in our current like culture would be super interesting as a whole there could definitely be a lot of interesting jokes but i think it could be a little bit more deep than some of the surface level jokes of and millennials oh, can't afford to live without roommates now. Yeah, so. no, they can't. We can't buy houses, so how how can we not every have roommates? Show is three's company. Yeah, every show is three's company. But I I would say that is the one that I sort of looked at it and I was like, that would actually be really a fun remake as a whole. Um, well, I really like that in-flight question, so I hope you guys did That's as a good well. One. And uh, we look forward to the next one with the next episode. But let's talk a little bit more about the legacy of this show. So this show had nine seasons and 193 total episodes. Um, The season, the series peaked at number seven overall TV show for its fourth and fifth season. So right around, which is amazing. Two seasons in a row, top 10. Um, And the highest it was rated uh, or its average rating at those that time was 23.2. For those who don't understand Nielsen ratings, that means that 23.2% per, uh, of TV-watching Americans were watching Night Court, oh which is amazing. That's um, So here's my favorite statistic. Um, 
There were 33 nominations for the show, nine wins, including three creative Emmys and four primetime Emmys. Now, when you think a show won four primetime Emmys, there must be some variety in those winners, right? Nope. It was all John Larroquette. He won four primetime Emmys for Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy four Series. Four years in a row, Four baby. years in Just a row. Just John Larroquette? Damn. Just John Larroquette. He, he, and went, he went an Edmonton Oilers-type streak for... Yeah. John Larroquette, <laughs> we salute you because friend of the pod for friend sure and friend of the Emmys. Um, so well, can, I, can, I, can I tag off that? Oh, yeah, really Absolutely. Quick? Yeah, so Larroquette wins in 85, 86, 87, and 88 for Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. After that fourth win in 1988, John Larroquette actually asks the awarding body to please remove him from future consideration. He takes himself out of consideration for future Emmys. He says that he wants to allow other people to have chances to be nominated, to get new shows recognition, and just removes himself from Emmy consideration. So it's four years, like, with an asterisk. Who knows, with the popularity of this show, what he would have done. And and I, I think I heard more about that story, too, is that he didn't want to have more um, Emmy nominations than who? Was it Andy Griffith or something like that? He was like, it was someone that he, he worked, he really looked up to as an actor and... and it, it was either Andy just, Griffith or like uh, Lucille Ball or something like that. Is John like, Larroquette just seems like the coolest dude. John, if by some chill. chance of God you're listening to this podcast, please, 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 please again, um, just even reply to our DMs. We don't even want you on the pod. If Jeff, you're a busy stop guy, stop sending John Larroquette DMs. <laughs> I, I just, can't believe I've had to ask just, you this several times just on the air. Super steamy DMs too. It's just me in a steam room. That's it. Um, oh, but, he's like seventy-five. What are you sending him letters? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, the steamiest of letters. They're very damp. Oh, um, so let's talk oh, about. <laughs> I hated everything about that. Yeah. Um, John so this Webb. show was not only a hit in the United States. Uh, it was syndicated in a few different countries. Uh, Australia, Canada, Germany, Italy, Spain, and New Zealand all got the experience of Night Court on different networks. Syndicated on multiple networks in, within the U.S. as well. Um, all of the seasons can be found on DVD. I watched this on Amazon Prime uh, for free with advertisements. So you can find it there as well. And Max talked a little bit about the sequel. As of us recording this, based off of the reception of the first four episodes, there's already a season two in the works of the wow. new Night Court, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah, it is. It's already been renewed for season two. It is NBC's highest rated comedy since 2017 when Will and Grace was revived at the network. And it's the highest rated comedy across the board for any network since 2018 with the premiere of The Connors, the reboot of Roseanne. So uh, while it's crazy that's the highest rated show in five years, I really hope that an original one gets these kinds of numbers and love at some point. That'd probably be um, super cool. I think it probably means we will see some of these reboots in the not-too-distant future. Uh, I know that NBC had developed, cast, and scrapped a Murder, She Wrote reboot Mm -hmm. a few years back with Octavia Spencer. So I don't know if they go back to the well with that one. I don't know if uh, our ideas for Taxi and Cheers get stolen in the next two to three years or what, but 
I have a feeling we'll be seeing more things like this. Also would like to know if uh, John Larroquette's Emmy's consideration extends to this new one as well, because I have a very good feeling, based on the reception and his legacy, that he will probably get a supporting actor nomination for this, should uh, the terms and conditions of his exemption uh, not apply to this reboot. I mean, um, okay, so uh, do shows, of, I mean, do uh, network shows even get that like particular uh love anymore at the at the emmys is that like i feel like that's kind of gone out the window with streaming there there's stuff yeah. that cracks through i mean obviously right now abbott elementary is doing really well yeah, with yeah. emmys and golden globes and that's one where it seems like the entire ensemble is getting on the level with uh, nominations as well there there's always stuff that gets through yeah. um Will Grace Revival got through. I have a feeling this one will probably sneak through because of just, like, the love of the show as a whole. We should also mention that uh, this revival is also uh, the second reunion of Night Court after uh, 30 Rock did it in season yeah. three. Uh, the one with the cast of Night Court where Tracy got the cast together to uh, to make Kenneth happy. Um <laughs> That's yeah. the only episode of Night Court I've seen, except for this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the legacy of this show, which now brings us to everyone's favorite, Rich's Game of the Yay. Week. Yay! Ba, 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 ba. All right, uh, I'm going to keep this one quick. Um, I, I I just think this is like funny. I, I, I remember stumbling upon a list of very funny names of court cases. Uh, like a long time ago, uh, maybe it was on a Reddit thread, maybe it was on a Facebook post or something like that, but it took me down a rabbit hole of like the funniest court case names and boy, are there a lot of them. Um, here's a couple like real court case names that, uh, just so you guys get a feel of what we're talking about. There's Robin Hood versus the U S uh, there is uh, Batman versus Commissioner, which was a, uh, someone who is with the last name Batman. Uh, <laughs> going against the like the state county commissioner or something like that. Um, there's the United States versus 40 barrels and 20 kegs of Coca-Cola. There's the United States versus approximately 64,695 pounds of shark fins. So basically, essentially how that happens is things get um, taken or seized at borders and they have the court case that said, that decides whether or not they can actually cross the border is sure. United States versus that object. So, I want you guys to come to a conclusion together. It's a multiple choice question. Right. And uh, I want you to, to see if you can guess the end of this court case name. It is the state of Pennsylvania versus A, Batman, B, 16 family-sized buckets of fried, uh, fried chicken, C, the, the New York Knicks organization, D, one 1958 Plymouth sedan. <laughs> I want. Okay, uh, can right. it be all, all of right. them? Can it please be all of them? Can they all be? Can it be all of them <laughs> yeah. together? Yeah. E, e, Batman, e all of them Chicken, together. New York Knicks, and a Plymouth. <laughs> that sounds like a great script to a movie. Max, what do you think? I mean, I have to be on brand here, and I have to say that it's C, the New York Knicks. <laughs> yeah, um, I am going to go against the Plymouth. Oh, uh, Jeff. For the for uh, 
a new disruption in the uh, uncomparable winning streak that Max has taken during Rich's game of the week. <laughs> we, have, we have a new made. winner. It's, it is the state of Pennsylvania versus one 1958 Plymouth sedan. Please give context on this case. Uh, absolutely not. Anyways. No. <laughs> you know, Rich, one, thank you for that game of the week. You're welcome. Two, I was fully prepared for you to be like, we're going to decide if OJ was guilty or not. Yes or no. Just All that. Right, let's get into <laughs> it. <laughs> Let's do it. But I, you do leave us with one final question. Um, this week, we are not going to ask if we think this show could be made today. Because, spoiler, spoiler alert, alert, there's going to be at least two seasons of the it, new It's Night the Court. only comedy on TV right now, apparently. It's yeah. not an Abbott Elementary. It's, uh, yeah. But I, I, what, I was literally looking up other comedy shows right now just to see what their competition could even be on network TV, and all of them are like HBO, Apple TV, Netflix, HBO, Apple TV, Netflix. It's it's nothing uh, is on TV right now. What I will ask, though, as I ask at the end of every week, is where, or excuse me, that's the other question. Uh, would you continue watching this version of Night Court? And... Rich, I'm just gonna ask you yes or no, yes nope. or no, Rich. Okay, uh, that, it, it's a it's a no for me, Your Honor. All right, and Max, what about you? I am going to say yes, I would. I think that anytime you have a performance that wins four consecutive Emmys, it's worth checking out, seeing what episodes got them those nominations and those wins. This is also a show where I'll say the same thing I did when we did Love Boat, which is I don't think I would ever watch this show in order i don't think i'm sitting down and watching all 190 in sequential order but it has such a rich history of guest stars both big name people as well as actors who like on their come up had appearances on here before they like blew up and became household names so i would be curious to go back and see some people who i love in their early work or like if they got like a random big name star uh so, yes, I will watch it, but not, like, watching it, watching it. You know what I mean? I, I absolutely do, because I was just thinking, you know what? I'm going to watch this like I'm currently watching Love Boat, where I'm going to look for very special episodes when I'm in the mood and watch just an episode on a one-off. Um, I think this is very much a show where if I'm watching Nick at Night by some chance, and I don't know if Night Court's on Nick at Night, but if it was, and I'm you know, suffering from insomnia, as I occasionally do, I'll watch an episode of Night Court. Hell yeah. Let me see what hijinks Judge Harry is getting into. Am I going to seek it out? Absolutely not. Um, I definitely, what I will say is I found this super refreshing. Um, I might watch an episode here or there. Um, is this on my must-watch list? Absolutely not. But I look forward to possibly watching it again sometime in the future. With that being said, that brings us to our final question from me as we come to a land. Where can we find you two gentlemen? You can find me with my feet up on the judge's bench mm -hmm. listening to the complete works of Mel Torme. Uh, you can also find me on all things social media at Maxwell Singh. Uh, you can find me critiquing other people's sex moves from a window. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Damn That's Rich. And also follow Max and My Comedy on... Jesus Christ. Also follow Max and My Comedy on TikTok at Dadwagon Comedy. Oh my god, that broke me for a second. <laughs>
<laughs> Stay tuned to the end, folks. You can find me trying to learn new words one a month for the next couple of months. Uh, <laughs> but you can also find me on social media at Run Jeff Run. You can find the TV Pilots License on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at TV Pilots License. If you have a question about the show or for our next episode, you can email us at TV Pilots License at gmail.com or give us a call at 213 290 Make sure to watch out for our Instagram for sneak previews of our upcoming episodes. And with the plane landed and the seatbelt sign off, we look forward to flying the bright skies of the TV world with you again soon. And until then, court dismissed. Gavel, 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 gavel. (laughs) 